Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, JJ Bunny talks about how we have infinite desires and how no other desire can fill us like Jesus can. We look at Galatians 5 verses 16 through 24 and how to walk by the Spirit instead of walking in fleshly desires. JJ talks about how eternal desire will never settle for temporary relief and how we have to be filled with Him to be able to pour out into other people. We hope you enjoy this message. So if you don't know me, I am JJ Bunny. I was a student intern here throughout this year and I have volunteered in students for a while. So I've been around, I have preached in middle school a couple times, but I haven't gotten the chance until now to preach in high school. So I'm super excited to be here with you guys. And since it is a holiday theme tonight, I thought it would be appropriate to start by talking about Christmas. So how many of y'all absolutely just love Christmas? Okay, so already a lot of you. So how many of you loved Christmas when you were a little kid? Yeah, all of you. Stop lying. Raise your hand. All of you loved Christmas as a little kid, right? Christmas is the most exciting time as a little kid. You got candy. You got Santa. You get to send letters to Santa. You get to write lists. And best of all, everybody knows the best part of Christmas as a kid are the presents. We love to get stuff as kids, right? As kids, we're like, oh, look at that new toy. We're watching every commercial in December, and we're like, I want that. Like, I don't even care what it is. A Barbie doll? Yeah, I don't care. I want it. I, I, I want that. And it doesn't matter what it is on the TV. Every single thing we want, because it, as a kid, we don't understand, like, Christmas about Jesus being born. Like, we kind of understand that, but we're like, presents, right? Like, that's all we, that's all we care about. That's all we care about at Christmas time. And every single one of us, I'm sure you all can relate to this, but every single one of us, when we were kids, had that one present on their list every year. That it didn't matter what else you got. If you got that, you're like, I'm happy. Uh, uh, this is a good Christmas. Like, I don't care if all of my, the rest of my gifts are bummy and the socks. Like, I don't, I don't even care. Like, I just want this thing. This is at the absolute top of my list. And I'm sure you all can probably remember something as a kid that you just had to have. You saw it on the TV, you saw commercials for it, and you were like, yes, that Hot Wheels track is my life. I want that. That's, that we all had that. We all had something we really, really wanted. And for me, it wasn't even a toy. I don't know what kind of kid I was. I was a weirdo. But I, I wanted a drum set. I just, I just wanted to be a drummer. From the time I was like six years old, me and my cousins, we had this band. We called it the Rockin' Cousins. I know. I know. I know. We, we were quite the stuff. I mean, we went on tour a couple times in our living room. It was, it was crazy. It, 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 we got wild up in there. It was fun. I, I loved doing it ever since I was like six years old. And I got to be the drummer because I was the youngest. And they were like, beat on these pots and pans. And I was like, yeah. I loved it. It was, it was the greatest. So I wanted to be a drummer. I thought that being in a band with my cousins for ho- holiday gatherings with the family meant that I was going to be a drummer for the rest of my life. I, just, I was like, yes, I am a drummer. I mean, I kind of am great at beating on these pots and pans and stuff. So I'd beat on pots and pans. I would beat on a little bongo set I got from my grandpa. But I really wanted a real drum set. 
not necessarily from the time I was like six years old, but as I got older, I was like, I need that. I, I, was, I would watch the people in worship service when I would come to church, and I would be like, I'm going to be that guy when I grow up. I'm going to be him. And I really, really wanted a drum set. Starting like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, that's probably when that item was at the top of my list. Fifth grade, walk down the stairs. Nope. Sixth grade, walk down the stairs on Christmas Day. Nope. Walk down seventh grade grade, the best year of my life. Seventh grade, walked down the stairs, walked around the corner, and saw the shiny orange drum set. I finally got it. And it was like every dream came true in that moment. It was like my, my life was fulfilled. I, I, I was so happy. I was so unbelievably happy. I didn't even care about the rest of my presence, honestly. I was, I was so caught up in the drum set that like, they had to like, come on, we got more presents. I was like, no, I'm playing the drums. I loved it so much, and I felt so happy when I finally got it. And then, excitement Christmas ran, wore off a little bit. I uh, played drums for about two weeks, and I was more excited about anybody. I was more excited about drums than anybody for two weeks. <laughs> and then it became a dust collector in my room, and I stacked my clothes on the stool, and it was a great table. It served me well. But I didn't... <laughs> use it after that. I don't understand why. I thought I was going to be a drummer. I thought that was like what I was supposed to do. I was so excited. And then when I finally got it, it wasn't everything I hoped it would be. And I'm sure you all experienced this as a kid, that something that you thought you really, really, really wanted, and then you got it, you finally got it, and you were played with it for like two days, two weeks, and then you were like, ah, gonna go put that away. I'm gonna go back to my other toys. This isn't as exciting as I thought it would be. And if you don't remember, I'm sure your parents remember buying you something that you played with for two days. <clears throat> we see this in culture all the time. We see people focused on success, 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 and money, money, money. And then they get to the top. All these millionaires get to the top. They have everything at their fingertips that they could possibly want. And they get to the top and they're saying stuff like, trust me, like it's not worth it. Trust me, money isn't everything you think it is. You think money's gonna bring you happiness, you think success is gonna give you a happy life, but really, it doesn't do that. Let's look at some quotes from some of these guys. So first, we have a quote from Robert, Robert Kiyosaki. He is a business investor, his net worth is like $100 million. He's got some money. Um, money will never make you happy if you are an unhappy person. Wow, haven't heard that one before. We've all heard that, right? We've all heard that money won't make you happy, so why are you still trying? Money won't make you happy, and I'm sure he had to learn that the hard way. I'm sure he got to the top. He was so set on making a lot of money, being successful, that he didn't realize once he got to the top, he was like, that wasn't the problem. The problem wasn't that I didn't have money. The problem was that I wasn't finding my happiness in the right spot. Let's look at another quote from Zig Ziglar. He is an author and with a net worth of like $15 million, so not $100 million, but he's still got some money. Money won't make you happy, but everybody wants to find out for themselves. Man, that man is convicting some souls in here right now. He's communicating the same idea. He's saying money won't make you happy, so 
Why are you still trying? We hear it in culture all the time. I'm sure every single one of you has heard money won't make you happy. Money isn't the answer. I'm sure every single one of you in this room has heard that, but I'm sure there's still a small part of a lot of you that is like, yeah, if I grew up and had a lot of money and was successful, I would consider that a good life. Why do we do this? Let's look at one more quote. This is a little bit of a longer quote, but it is by someone who would have been considered very, very successful, very, very wealthy in his time. Oh, I did great things, built houses, planted vineyards, designed gardens and parks, and planted a variety of fruit trees in them, made pools of water to irrigate the groves of trees. I bought slaves, male and female, who had children giving me even more slaves. Then I acquired large herds and flocks, larger than any before me in Jerusalem. I piled up silver and gold, loot from kings and kingdoms. I gathered a chorus of singers to entertain me with song, and most exquisite of all pleasures, voluptuous maidens for my bed. He goes on to say, that after he looked at all of the stuff he had accumulated, he never held himself back. He never held any of his desires back. And he found it all to be nothing. He found all of it to be nothing. Not, it was okay, but like it could have been better. Not, yeah, like it satisfied me a little bit, but like, I don't know. I feel like I could have been more filled. He said it was nothing. He said in the midst of all that, he he had everything at the tip of his fingers and he never held himself back. He gratified his every desire and found that it was nothing. He found that it was nothing. And so all of the people in this that I've been talking about and most of you in this room, whether you realize it or not, have probably begun to understand this idea that desire is infinite. Our desire is is infinite. No matter how much we try and try and try and try and try and try to fill it, we just want to take, 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 take. We can't seem to fill this hole that we feel like we have in our hearts. It feels like everything we try comes up short. And so what would it take to fulfill our desire? What, if, if we could, like what would it take? If we had all the time, money, in the world, what would it take to fulfill our desire? In John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says this. When asked, what would it take to fulfill our desire? He says, everything. We would have to experience everything and everybody to feel satisfied. Eat at every restaurant, travel to every country, every city, every exotic locale, experience every natural wonder, make love to every partner we could possibly desire, win every award, climb to the top of every field, own every item in the world, etc. We would have to experience it all. It's a pretty crazy answer, isn't it? Because even if you had all the money in the world, time and space doesn't really allow for you to do that. But let's say we had all of the resources at our hands. We had time, space, money. None of that was limiting us. I think even if we had everything, I think we'd still find a way to desire more. I think that infinite desire would still be pulling at our heart going, what's next? What's next? Where can I be fulfilled next? 
So why? Why do we have this infinite desire? Why do we feel like we can never fill this desire? Well, truth is, God designed it that way. God designed us to live in eternity with him. And nothing less will satisfy our souls. We were designed to live in perfection, in his creation, in eternity. When he, when he created Adam and Eve, that's how he designed it for them, and quite frankly, for all of mankind. We are wired that way because of God. And I'm sure a lot of you are sitting here and going, JJ, I've heard all this before, man. Like, like I know money's not the answer. I know money won't give me what I want. I, I know that I have to find fulfillment in Jesus, but like, I don't know how to do that. Like, JJ, I'm a Christian, dude, and I still feel empty. Why do I still have this hole in my heart? Why, even though I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, why do I still have these desires that I seem to not be able to fulfill? Well, we have new software and outdated hardware. We, we have the full power of God inside of us, but we live in fleshly bodies. So imagine you have the best computer you could possibly get. Best inner core, proce- inner core processor, whatever, best graphics card, best everything you can get. And then you spend all your money on that, so what you got is a 2005 Dell monitor. And it's like really, really grainy. And that's all you got to be able to transmit this. That's kind of how it is for us living with the Holy Spirit within us. No matter how hard we try, we're never going to be able to express that full power. We're never going to be able to be God. But we have the full power within us, so how do we let that take over? And I think that's exactly the kind of picture Paul is trying to paint in our passage for today. So everybody, go ahead and open up to Galatians 5, 16 through 24. So we're just going to walk through this together, step by step, and we'll pause, and I will elaborate on some of the sections. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For if the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So pause right there. Paul is kind of expanding on this idea I was just talking about. We have that new software and outdated hardware, so they're no matter how hard we try, they're working against each other. That, that Dell monitor is never going to be able to transmit the full power of that computer. And the computer is never going to be able to lower its quality to the level that the monitor can handle. It's constantly working against each other. And that's kind of how it is for us as Christians living in fleshly bodies with the spirit inside of us. 
We are equipped with the Spirit. We have been made new, but we live in fleshly bodies. We will one day receive new bodies in heaven, but for now, we're flesh and blood. And that comes with sinful desires and passions. And so it comes down and it ends up being this constant, constant fight. The desires of the spirit are against the desires of the flesh to prevent you from doing. He says to prevent you from doing what you want to do. That's a little bit weird. But that, that just kind of means to prevent you from gratifying your fleshly desires before your spiritual desires. And he actually gives us a method for how to do this. He gives us a method and he says, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul makes it sound really, really easy here. Honestly, this isn't the greatest tutorial. I mean, it, just, it gives you a one-step fix and kind of expects you to roll with that. But I mean, that is as simple as it is. We have to learn how to let the spirit take over. And when we do that, we actually see, we, we see two results. One when we don't do that, and one when we do do that. And Paul's going to expand on that a little bit more. But one more thing before we move on. I, I don't think Paul is saying here, hey, all your fleshly desires are sinful. Because I think there's a lot of things that we desire that aren't inherently bad things. I think, first of all, we have God-given desires. God has implanted desires in all of us that I think we all share. Desire to be loved, desire to be comforted, desire to have intimacy. Those are, those are desires that God has implanted in us, but there are also desires individual to us. I'm sure all of you have things that you love to do. I, I love going to the lake. I love tubing, I love surfing, I love fishing, love doing all that kind of stuff. Woo, yeah, yeah, JC, yeah, JC. But when I'm doing that, I don't, I don't think I'm inherently always called by the Spirit to do that. Do I, do I, I don't think my desire to go to the lake is always some divine intervention in my life. I, th I think it's just a normal thing. I, th I think it's just a normal desire. Do I think it's inherently sinful? Absolutely not. I don't, I don't think it's sinful to have these desires, but I think where the sin comes in is the priority list and where we put those desires in comparison to where we put God, our desire for God. And so Paul's gonna talk about that a little bit more. We're gonna pick it right back up in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. <sighs> okay. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, that was a long list. And right, right here, we don't, see, we don't see Paul lay out the desires of the flesh. He doesn't say the desires of the flesh are evident. He says the works of the flesh are evident, which is similar to the desires, but these are more 
Like, all of these things are actions that he's saying, and all, all of them are more um, results of giving in to our fleshly desire. I think what we see here is we see Paul expanding on the idea of what happens when we allow our fleshly desires to take over. See, desire is a great thing. Desire can even be a great motivator. Desire can be a great motivator. It's a great thing. But when we let it take over, and we, when we let it begin to control our actions, and when we start to try to gratify our desire in anything that we can possibly find that will, we think will give us gratification, even if it goes against what God said, even if it goes against what we know is right, when we start to gratify in those things, because we're so eager to be satisfied, so eager to be filled, that's when it becomes a problem. And when we do that, we find ourselves more empty and more left in the dust than we've ever felt. And then Paul offers such a beautiful alternative. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul actually says here that we have the power within us to crucify and deny those fleshly desires. They have been crucified because of what Jesus has done. We now have the power to daily deny those fleshly desires and choose to follow the Spirit. And he says that when we do that, it offers such a beautiful alternative. It offers the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Well, when we follow in the Spirit, it, it's almost like we take all of our other desires and we place them below our desire to follow God. Our desire to follow God, our desire to do, do what he has for our life, our desire to follow what he says, follow in his ways, is higher than all of our other desires. That doesn't mean our desires aren't there. That doesn't mean we don't want to do these things, but it does mean that we're choosing God over those things. God is at the top. And when we put him at the top of our desires, we actually find that we feel more full than we ever have felt. And out of that fullness, we get this fruit of the Spirit. Out of that fullness, we not only see feel full and not only feel like our desire is, for some reason, oddly gratified, we see that we have an, we have an overflow in this fruit of the Spirit in our character, in our actions, in our daily life, we find these fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We find all these things pouring out of us because we are filled by the Spirit, filled by what was designed to fill us. That's how God designed it, so there's nothing else that can fill it other than Him. Bottom line is, the, our eternal desire will never settle for temporary relief. As much as you think 
A fleshly thing may fill you as much as you may feel in the moment filled. It leaves you emptier and emptier if your desire is not set on God. Eternal desire will never settle for temporary relief. So how does this apply? Like, JJ, what are you talking about, dude? Like, how, how do I apply that to my life? How do I follow the Spirit? Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about how this has applied to my life. And I hope that will help you all maybe understand a little bit better. So, I have struggled with an addiction to pornography since I was in the seventh grade. And uh, something that people don't realize about addictions to pornography is that it's not always inherently out of sexual desire. Um, it, it can often be, just be an outlet. And so, for me, it started in seventh grade. I, I in middle school, I, I wasn't very popular. Like, I, I was kind of chubby. I was, I'm still weird. Like, I was really weird in middle school. Like, I'm still a weird guy, but like, I wasn't confident in my weirdness. Now I just like accept it. But I wasn't confident in who I was. I was, I was wrestling with a lot of things. And in middle school, if you're not confident, you're kind of the prey. You're not, you get taken advantage of. And so in middle school, at school, like, in my school setting, I got made fun of a lot. Um, I, I got bullied. And it was, it really created this struggle for me. It created this struggle. I had this desire to be loved, and I didn't feel loved at school. And because of the things they were saying to me at school, I, I had these great friends at church. I had this great family who loved me, but I was unable to feel love from any of them because I felt unworthy because of the lies that were being poured into my life. I, I even remember going to my parents one night and being like, I feel like everybody hates me. And I was like crying. And, and I didn't understand why and I, I didn't understand that my desires were out of line. And my desire to be loved, I used pornography as an outlet for that. And I found that it continued to leave me emptier and emptier. Even though I thought it would fill me, even though it gave me gratification in the moment, I, f I still felt empty. It continued on in early high school, and in early high school it was for a different reason. I, I had a a, a lot of friends in early high school. I quickly became very popular and it was kind of a weird change of direction for me. I, I was really confident in who I was. I, was I, I felt I was really nice to people. I wasn't very nice in most school. I was way nicer to people. And so I, got, I had a lot of friends really quickly. And honestly, it felt like I was friends with everybody. And that sounds like a great thing, but Honestly, I started to struggle with having so many shallow friendships, having so many friendships that I, I didn't really feel much intimacy in, that I struggled to 
to have vulnerability with the friends I, I was close with, and I struggled to get deeper into relationships and have those intimate relationships. And so I associated sex as being an intimate thing, and so once again, pornography was my outlet for that. And in the moment, I felt filled. I felt like it was helping relieve my desire, but it left me emptier than I was before. Finally, in my later years of high school, junior and senior year, me and my dad had a lot of arguments. Me me and my dad got into a lot of fights, and um, I, in my search for comfort in that, I, I, first, I would like, would use my Xbox, like my first response, this sounds weird, but after I would get in an argument with my dad, like I would, I would go play Xbox, because I just, I, I felt like I needed to cool off. But for a person like me, if you know anything about me, I'm like stupid competitive. And if you've ever played Xbox with me, it's even worse. Like I, I get really mad. Um, I, I'm not, not anymore, like it, I've toned it back a lot, but like as a junior in high school, I really, I really, was what they called a rager. I, I, I was always, I would always get mad. And so that, that was my first response for comfort. I was, I was looking for comfort in like friendship and leisure time and like gaming and stuff like that. And when that failed me, when that left me even angrier than I was, I, I ran back to what I knew. And I ran back to pornography and found, once again, why was I surprised? That I was emptier than I ever felt before. In all these things, I had to retrain my mind. I had to disconnect my desire to be loved from that addiction and reconnect it to God, and I found that God loved me more than I could have ever imagined to be loved in middle school. As, as I exited early high school, I, I had to learn that that desire for intimacy, God could fulfill that almost instantly because he offered a way more intimate relationship with him than I could ever imagine in anyone else. And when I put my desire back on him, I once again was filled. And finally, in my later years of high school, I found that in my search for comfort, I found way more comfort in him than I could have ever imagined to find in my Xbox or in my addiction. And out of all these things, I actually began to see an overflow through those fruits of the Spirit. I found that not only was I filled, but I was equipped to pour into others. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's not pornography. Maybe, maybe you struggle with a constant comparison game on social media and you hope that every like will leave you feeling like you're beautiful or you're enough. And I promise that What God has to say about you is that you were beautifully and wonderfully made. If that's you, I want to encourage you in that.
Maybe for you, you've never felt loved by your father. Maybe you, he left, but, and, or maybe you just didn't have a great relationship. And in every, everything, you, you search to get attention from people around you because you're constantly desiring to be loved. And I promise you that God offers you more love than you could ever imagine. In all of this, we have this eternal desire and we must put God at the top of our priority list. I promise you, no matter what it is for you, no matter what desire you struggle with, no matter what temptation you struggle with, when you put God at the top above it all, you find that you are left more full than you ever were. And we know fleshly things leave us empty. So why are we still trying? We know eternal desire will never settle for temporary relief. So set it on the only thing that is eternal, our God. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your unending love. Thank you that you fulfill every desire we could ever imagine. Thank you that you are infinite. Thank you that you love us more. You love us more than we could ever hope to be loved. I pray that as these students leave today, they would be encouraged that, that even if it feels like they're empty, even if they feel like they can never find satisfaction, that can be found in you. And you are always enough. In your name I pray. Amen.